The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. God's presence is really what God is all about. And so we want to understand why that's so important and and what we need to look for as we pursue the presence of God in our everyday life. Uh, So those are a few things, cure for anxiety, what the kingdom of God is, and why the presence of God is so important. I want to just jump right into the scripture here. I want you to turn to the book of Matthew. We're going to find that cure for anxiety right out of the, the, the chute here. And this is the goal of the message today, to live anxiety-free lives, to be equipped by the Word of God, to where when care and concern, when fear and anxiety attempt to creep into our life, we know what to do and how to respond in order to give them no room to establish themselves in our thinking or in our actions. We want to get rid of all anxiety. So Matthew, go to chapter 6. Now, the verse that we're going to emphasize, if you want to write down a verse for your notes, write down verse 33, but we're going to begin reading way up in verse 25. I want to do the reading here, and I'm probably going to skip over some verses, but I'll try to announce when that happens so that we can stay together, okay? Jesus is speaking here, and you have to understand, it's important for me to to not read the Bible like a textbook. I mean, I, I, I love to learn, and I like to think that, that I've got a few wheels turning upstairs, but I really didn't enjoy school. It seemed really boring to me. And so when we read the scripture together, I think it's important to not treat it like a textbook, but take a moment. I mean, take a moment and just think about this. Jesus is talking. Now, Jesus isn't in a room having one person record his thoughts. He's not kicked back in a chair with his feet up saying, hey, take this down. He's speaking to people. I mean, I'm a person. So automatically now I I can engage and relate with what we're about to read. I mean, he's talking to people. And he's talking to people that have needs and wants and desires. He's talking to people that have uh, uh, bills. He's talking to people that have job issues. He's talking to people that have all kinds of normal, everyday life, regular Joe stuff going on. He's talking to these people. And you can just kind of put yourself in the crowd there. Where you're hearing and listening as he's speaking. And even though there's a lot of people around, even though there's there's a, a number of faces in the crowd, his words are just coming straight to you. It's like everything that he says, he knows everything about your life and everything he's saying is ministering to you. Now when we read this, just take that kind of a mindset on. And as you stand in the crowd, you hear the voice of Jesus saying, for this reason I say to you, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious for your life as to what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or, or your body and, and what you're going to put on it. Life is so much more than those things. Look at the birds in the sky. I mean, they don't go and, and work and toil. 
But yet God takes care of them. And don't you know you're worth so much more than they are? And which one of you, I mean, by being anxious and, and taking on care and worry and fear, which one of you, being anxious, can even add a single moment to your life? I mean, it doesn't help. Why are you anxious about these things? Again, just look at how God takes care of creation. The grass, for example, and the beautiful flowers that cover it. I mean, it's just grass. It's temporary. It's there for one season and then it's cut down and tossed away and look how God adorns it. He makes it beautiful. Don't you know He cares so much more about you? Don't be anxious then. Your Heavenly Father knows all of your needs. And then verse 33. So seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness. And all of the things that you need will be added to you. So don't be anxious about tomorrow. I mean, tomorrow's going to take care of itself. Because each day has its own need. That's a pretty interesting church service to be in, isn't it? And when you hear these words, they're more than just instructions or guidelines for living. But they're spoken with compassion, coming from the mouth of a righteous king, confirmed by a faithful father. Not just a demand to try to manage your emotions. Don't be anxious for anything. But an instruction why we don't have to be. Don't worry about those things because God is going to take care of you. He's never taking His eye off of you. He cares about your life and He knows every single need that you have. Just do this. Just seek first His kingdom. And everything else will fall into place. So this morning with our goal being getting anxiety out of our lives, I think it's important for us to establish that instruction, that, that call at the forefront of everything that we're going to read in the Scripture. To seek first the kingdom of God. I mean, I want to ask a question, and I'm not asking for hands to go up. You're welcome to put them up if you like. I mean, it's kind of a, a lopsided question. I mean, I know the answer to it. Have you ever been anxious? Have you ever been worried? Has there ever been a time in your life where, where you felt completely out of control or at the mercy of one who did not have your best interest in mind? Whether it was an individual or an institution. I mean, I think everyone in the room could say, yeah, absolutely. I've been in moments where I felt absolutely anxious. And Jesus is aware of that. I mean, he's talking about the days because he's aware of the days. He's experienced the days. He's telling us, listen, I mean, 
tomorrow's going to have more trouble than today. It's, it's still going to be there. But listen, just don't worry about it. Focus on the fact that God loves you, that he makes provision for your life, and seek his kingdom first, and everything will fall right into place. So as I'm hearing these words, I'm thinking, you know, pastorally, if, if we as a congregation could catch that, could get that and put it to practice, if we could become a people who seek God's kingdom first with our lives, I think we'd have a shortage of counseling appointments. I, I think there would be something really incredible that would take place in the life of a church. If you could see anxiety purged out of every individual, fear removed from every individual, and we could become people that understand, believe, and are content with the words of Jesus, that all I really need to do is just seek God's kingdom, and everything's going to work out. That's kind of my, my line. I mean, there's been moments in marriage or even business where, where I've made the comment, it'll work out. Ashley's laughing. That's my wife. It'll work out. I mean, it doesn't really sound like you have your act together when you say that, does it? You know, it almost sounds lazy, doesn't it? But yet, it's the, it's the call and the example that Jesus would give us. Hey, just stay focused on God. Do everything you can to put his kingdom first with your choices, your decisions, your words, how you behave, the things you do, the things you listen to, the things you look at. Just put God first. It'll work out. It'll work out. And he's faithful to see to it that it does. So I want to find out more about God's kingdom. If we're called to seek God's kingdom first, then I want to know everything I can know about it. I want you to know everything you can know about it. I mean, God's kingdom is really important. In fact, I want you to take this down for your notes. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. So right here at the beginning of the book of Acts, you have something revealed, and I want to read it, and I want you to kind of pay attention to what's being read and see if you hear what I hear when we go through this passage. Acts chapter 1, the first three verses of Acts. Now, it, it's, it's Luke writing, and he's written a gospel, and he's talking about that he's written before about Jesus. And he says, hey, the, the first account that I composed about all that Jesus did and all that he taught until the day that he was taken up to heaven, you know, after he had gone by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit had given orders, excuse me, to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, verse 3, to these he also presented himself alive after his suffering. So he's talking about time when Jesus was walking on the earth in bodily form after being crucified, buried, and coming out of the grave. The scripture gives account for these days where Jesus had returned and been resurrected alive again. Once was dead but now living. He came, presented himself after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking to them, excuse me, speaking to them things concerning the kingdom of God. Now, that wasn't my best reading job, but I hope that you heard what I hear. I mean, it's a super big deal, right? 
Here's a, a man who had turned the world completely upside down, had been nailed to the cross, breathed his last, buried into the dirt, and then came out of the grave alive again. This is a guy that's got plenty to talk about, right? And in this short amount of time, knowing that there's only a number of days to do this talking, what did he choose to talk about? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Guys, I've got a limited amount of time, but I want to tell you something that's real important. Listen up. I want to talk to you about the kingdom of God. I want to tell you all about the kingdom of God. You need to know about the kingdom of God. I kind of would have been there and been like, so what's it like to die? You know, I mean, what did you see? Did you see light? Was it dark? What did it feel like? And when you came back to life, was it like, oh, or was it like, oh? I mean, what was it? Tell me about that. I mean, I would have had all of these questions about things that don't matter. And here he is talking about the thing that does matter. And that ought to ring out, you know, the alarm should go off and the bell should be ringing in our heads saying, wow, this is an important subject matter. We should really focus on this. The kingdom of God. You know, but it's not just after the grave that Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. You can take down a, a passage for your notes here, and it's in more than one place, but you can take down Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. I like this specific verse because it opens with from that time, kind of like from that time on, right? I mean, Jesus is released into his preaching ministry. He's been baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God came down upon him, remained upon him. He begins to preach and teach. It says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I mean, I take that verse and here's what it means to me. It means that Jesus included the kingdom of God in every sermon that he preached. From that time on, when Jesus preached, he even opened up with, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Whether he literally said that, whether it was said in other ways, it's not that important to me. The point is, is that the purpose of every single message that Jesus ever preached recorded in the gospel is about revealing to you, revealing to me, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is important for us to understand because there's, there's been the opportunity for us to not only know about it, but to live in the kingdom of God. I want to give you a passage of scripture. I want you to turn there. Colossians chapter 1. Now, it'd be a good chapter to read. It would just be a good book to read. I, I would encourage you to do that. But I want to look at a specific passage because it applies to every single person. I mean, if we were to, to take a head count in here, how many of you are Christians? How many of you are believers? I mean, hands would go up. If you are a Christian, this passage of Scripture applies to you. And it says that we're really in one of two places. Colossians chapter 1, I want to read verse 13. For Jesus delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of light. Your scripture might say God delivered us from the kingdom uh, or domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. The point there is that there's a transfer that takes place. 
A transfer meaning to move out of one thing into another. To be moved out of a domain of darkness and into the kingdom of Jesus Christ or the kingdom of light. For us, we've been moved into the kingdom. I think we ought to understand the kingdom. I think we do need to pursue the kingdom. I think we need to to seek out the kingdom in the scripture. And I think that our lives need to be uh, given to, to the tendencies to seek first the kingdom of God. I think it's a priority for us. It's very easy for us to see the kingdom of God as as a distant thing. One day Jesus will return and establish his kingdom and then we will dwell in the kingdom of God. That's really bad thinking. Because right here and right now for every single Christian, when we call upon the name of God, when we yield our, our lives to his headship, something changes. We are moved from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so let's talk about a kingdom for a moment. I mean, we ask the kids here, you know, what does it take to have a kingdom? What is a kingdom? I I like to joke a lot about the kingdom of God because when I was a kid, I was fascinated with the maps in the back of my Bible. It got me through a lot of church services looking through those maps. And you can go through those maps and you'll never find the kingdom of God. It's because the kingdom of God isn't necessarily a place. Here's what the kingdom is if you just break down the word. Kingdom. Made up of two words. A a king's domain. A domain belonging to a king. And it makes sense when you contrast it with scripture that There were two kingdoms. One is a domain of darkness and the other is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That when we are born again, we're pulled out of the domain of darkness and transferred or moved into the kingdom of light. That same kingdom that we're meant to seek first with all of our choices and all of our decisions, our attitudes, our words. A kingdom is just the domain of a king. And then this stands out to me when I think about the domain of a king. I mean, Jesus being a king is this phenomenal thing throughout the scripture. And there's one area where Jesus in his authority, his royal authority, stands out to me. And I want you to consider and ponder for a moment the the crucifixion. If you're not familiar with it, that's okay. But Jesus is is arrested and, and he's charged with these charges and he's beaten and he's mocked and he's spit on and he's slapped and they did horrible, horrible things to, to belittle him and to, to torment him, to, to make fun of him and, and to, to tear him down. And all of these, these games, they, they put a, a, a piece of cloth around him to dress him like a king and then they took turns beating him and they, they put a crown on his head you know, to make fun of the idea that he would be a king. And that crown was made of thorns and it dug into his flesh. And then they, they took turns standing around him and they blindfolded him. And they said, so you're a prophet, huh? And they took turns hitting him and say, prophesy, which one of us just hit you? And they, just, they, they tortured this man mentally, physically, and emotionally. And then something happens that stands out. That's not mocking. Because the whole time they're beating him and they're they're putting the robe around him and slapping him and spitting on him and tearing his flesh, the whole time they're doing this, nobody's saying, hey, cut that out. Nobody. Not one. 
But once he's nailed to the cross, a sign is put over his head. A sign is put over his head that says, this is the king of the Jews. And I can guarantee you that it's not a mocking thing that's being done here. Because the moment that sign goes up, you hear this. Hey, take that down. Cut that out. It's a true statement being made. A declaration to all the world that this, this body that hangs there, breathing its last, is indeed the king of the Jews. Jesus is a king. And God's bestowed upon him a kingdom. Take this down for your notes. The book of Daniel chapter 7. Verses 13 and 14. Daniel chapter 7 verses 13 and 14. Daniel is seeing a vision in the night. He says, I kept looking into the night vision. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, all nations, men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will never pass away. And his kingdom is one which will never be destroyed. There's only one way a king loses his kingdom. Defeat or death. Jesus will never be defeated and he lives forevermore. To enter into the kingdom of God is to enter into a kingdom that will never pass away and never be shaken. It's the reason why when we seek his kingdom and pursue his kingdom, we are seeking and pursuing the things that are stable, the things that are not temporary, the things that are faithful and not vain. It's the reason why when we seek his kingdom, it works out. Jesus speaks of being a king and in a passage of scripture as he's declaring the end times and judgment. You can find it yourself. It's very interesting to read in your own time in Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew chapter 25, he talks about the dividing of the sheep and the goats. And he makes this comment in verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed of my father and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So I want to talk about the kingdom and find out more about what it is. And to do that, I told you before we're going to have to find out what the kingdom of God is. I want to give you a passage of scripture. I'd like for you to turn there, if you can. Turn to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 14. In verse 17. I mean, if we're meant to seek the kingdom of God, I'd like to know what it is that we're seeking after. Now, I, I grew up in Texas. Normally, that doesn't necessarily get an amen, but a yeehaw. I grew up in Texas. So I was never on the receiving end, but I have been on the giving end of hosting a snipe hunt. 
Yeah. Some of you are laughing. You're like, I've done that before. And some of you are like, someone did that to me. (laughs) And you describe, you know, what it is and what to look for so that they can go out and look for it. And if you really mean, you you tell them what call to make. So they're standing out in the middle of nowhere, you know, make a and just looking like total fools, you know. But I want to know what to look for. So that as we seek first the kingdom of God, as we're hunting for the kingdom of God, as we're, we're looking for the kingdom of God in every moment of our lives, we know what it is that we're looking for. I mean, how many of you have ever been right by accident? It happens to me a lot, actually. It's like, well, that was, it worked out good, but that was accidental. I mean, I want to be intentional about this. I want to know what we're looking for, and I want to set out and find it. I want to seek first the kingdom of God. So let's see what it is that we're seeking so that we can intentionally look for it in our lives. Romans 14, 17, it speaks about eating and drinking, about traditions and, and, and things like that. But then it reveals this in the end, and it's the end that I want us to pay attention to. The kingdom of God consists in or is or exists in, depending on your translation, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness, peace, or joy in the Holy Ghost. So this is what the kingdom of God is made up of. And if I'm called to seek first the kingdom of God, In any situation or any circumstance, it means I am called to look for, I'm called to hunt for, I am called to to search out righteousness. I'm called to to hunt for and search for, to, to look for peace. I'm called to hunt and search and look and examine. I'm called to seek out joy in the Holy Spirit in any situation or circumstance. What makes that difficult sometimes is that the situation or the circumstance isn't righteous, it isn't peaceful, and it's not joyful, and it's right in your face. And it's hard to see past that. Righteousness. I'll give you a few passages concerning righteousness. 1 John 2.29 You know, Jesus is righteous. And if you know that Jesus is righteous, then you know everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. In 1 John 3, 7, and then down to to verse 10, reads like this. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as Jesus is righteous. Did you hear that last part? Just as Jesus is righteous. And then verse 10, by this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. That's the practicing of righteousness. So righteousness, I want to talk about righteousness just really briefly. Because it's an interesting word, right? Righteousness. Now, I I slept through English class most of the time. Some of my favorite teachers were English teachers. Uh, But there were things about the English language that I thought, you know, I already speak good English. What's the point? But there's some things there that can help us. If we just take a little trip back to English class, it can help us understand the words that God is intentionally using when he's talking to us about his kingdom. Righteousness. I mean, it's funny to me that that it doesn't say for the kingdom of God is righteous, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
It doesn't say that. It doesn't say the kingdom of heaven is righteous, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It says it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's righteousness. It has the suffix. Those, you know, it means the end, right? Prefix comes in the front and suffix comes in the back. It has the suffix N-E-S-S, ness. Righteousness. Now that little suffix does something. It, it makes a change. Now I, I know English is, is tough, and so right now you're fighting, wanting to just <laughs> wake up, hang in there, because it's important. Righteous just by itself is an adjective. I mean, it's a descriptive word. And it's a good descriptive word. I mean, the judgments of God are described as righteous. All of your righteous judgments. It's a descriptive word. But when you add that suffix, N-E-S-S, righteous no longer is an adjective. It becomes righteousness, which makes it a noun. You are a noun, by the way. A person, place, thing. And then when I was a kid, they threw idea in there. You remember that? Person, place, thing, and idea. But it changes the word from being a descriptive word to being an identifying word. It's a state of being. So righteous isn't just something that we do. It's who we are. That's the difference between grace and law. I'm no longer doing this because I have to. Well, I choose to do what's righteous here. I'm going to do it because it's who I am. I operate in righteousness. It's a state of being. So when someone comes and brings slander or hardship or cheats me or in any way, shape, or form introduces conflict that I have a hard time seeing the kingdom of God, I understand I have an obligation to operate in a state of being that can only be described as righteousness. I'm going to take a high road. If you want to take a low road, that's your decision. If it were just simply righteous, that means it would be an option, a choice or a decision. But for us as believers, we don't have choices or decisions because we're no longer operating in our democracy. We're now in a kingdom. I have instructions to behave in such a way, and it's not optional. Righteousness. It's our identity. Peace. <clears throat> As we're seeking first the kingdom of God, we need to know what to look for. We look for righteousness. When we are faced with obstacles, when we're faced with trial or tribulation, we, we can avoid being anxious by simply identifying what way in, is, is described as righteousness in this situation. And then peace. When faced with trial or tribulation, what way is peace found in this situation? I've got news for you. My nature, my personality, my, my natural man loves to fight. I mean, conflict does not bother me at all. Confrontation is not an issue. I know some people that are disturbed by it. I can't even wrap my mind around how that would be unenjoyable. Serious. I mean, con conflict is how things get done and, and how you move things forward. And, and, and it's, it's just part of, of everyday life. But then you, you have to reconcile this, that where, where you could be so naturally given when you face an obstacle, well, that's fine. I'm just going to kick your tail, and then we won't have a problem anymore. 
right? That's what conflict and confrontation, well, I'm just going to be a bully and bulldoze you, and I don't care how you feel, so we're going to do it my way. Now we don't have a problem. That would be a natural tendency, but what we're called to is peace. Well, peace has never been accomplished by bullying. Peace has never been accomplished by bulldozing. Peace has never been accomplished by violence. Peace is an amazing and interesting thing that's throughout the Scripture. And I love that when Jesus talks about peace, he understands this is going to be hard for us to understand. And that's why when he talks about peace, he, he talks about his peace. And he makes sure to, to indicate, hey, it's not like the world's peace. He says, hey, peace I give you, but not like the world, so don't think like that, right? I'm not coming in to make everybody submit. Now we have peace. I've got some serious Jesus jujitsu. So when you hear me talk about peace, guys, and I'm, I'm kind of standing in for Jesus, Jesus saying, when you hear me talk about peace, don't think about how the world gets peace, you know, through bullying and bulldozing and, and violence. Don't think about that. The, the peace that I'm going to bring, it surpasses all understanding. So basically, he helped us all out by saying, you can try, but you're, you're not going to wrap your mind around it. I, I mean, it's caught, not taught. You're going to know it when you see it, trust me. It, it's going to stand out, and you're going to love it. But, but don't think like the world. If you think like the world, you're going to be off. You don't know what spirit you're of, and it doesn't work that way. So when we think about peace as God gives, as Jesus gives, as he brings, we need to turn to the scripture and let the, the peace that's described in the scripture create a, a new thinking and a renewed mind in each one of us. Isaiah chapter 9 is a great place to see a peace identified as belonging to Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Now these are chapters that we love to pull out at Christmas time. How many of you are sad that it's not Christmas anymore? Right? This was the last year that my kids are single digit. They'll be 10 next year. And, you know, you start having kids and Christmases just fly by and all of that. I love that season. This is a passage of scripture we normally pull out around Christmas. And we celebrate it around Christmas time. And, and it needs to come out more often. It needs to be a, a part of our daily living. It's describing our king and his birth. So Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 6, a child will be born to us and a son will be given to us. And then now hear this, because this becomes more than a manger scene, right? These are big words. The government will rest upon his shoulders. That's everything that's being described in Daniel, remember? When a kingdom and a dominion was given to Jesus by the Ancient of Days, that's the Father. A child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Now you hear all of these wonderful descriptions, right? And they're, they're great, but now listen to what follows this, and you're going to see an emphasis on peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David, he'll rule over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. But I want you to see something in that line. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. 
There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. I want to drill that into our brains. I want us to associate his government and peace. His government and peace. The more his government increases in my life, peace increases in my life. They're connected. Jesus, as the Prince of Peace, is an identity that has been altered in my mind and in my life as I've matured and grown. I mean, I used to think that that something had to be peaceful for Jesus to be Lord of it. You know? Where if, if my wife and I were having some sort of conflict, it would be a statement like, well, how can Jesus be Lord over our house if we're fighting like this? That's backwards thinking. What it means is whatever Jesus is made Lord of is going to encounter peace. So in that moment of strife, it should be, you know, we need to make Jesus Lord over this moment so that we can stop fighting. As his government increases, as Jesus is given authority in any situation or any circumstance, there is an increase of peace. So when we're faced with obstacles and trials and hardships, accusations, slanders, all kinds of nasty business, when we're faced for those things and we know we need to seek God's kingdom first or else suffer anxiety and worry and fear, righteousness must be sought after. That identity, that state of being, That is not giving in to sin and temptation and carnality. And then peace. We need to make Jesus Christ the Lord of this situation. And you know if you're in a conflict with with another person or a dozen other people. They don't even have to be on board for you to make Jesus Lord of that situation. It just simply means stepping back and putting Jesus in charge. Jesus, I'm not going to address this situation without your counsel. You're king of this situation. You're prince of this situation. You have the authority in this situation. It's how we can seek his kingdom first. And there's something great that takes place when we do that. Something really incredible. I mean, Jesus spoke of it when he was giving what we call the Beatitudes. It's a, it's a sermon where he, he goes through this wonderful uh, list of, of, of kingdom attributes that are meant to be in each one of us. And one of those attributes is found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they're going to be called the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they're going to be called the sons of God. Well, here's what I know when I look at the scripture. Remember when we were reading in 1 John and John was writing and he said, you know, there's two types of kids and this is how you tell them apart. There's, you know, the the children of God and the children of the devil. Those are two pretty extremely different people groups, are they not? So if the peacemakers are going to be called the sons of God, what do you think those who build up strife and fight are going to be called? The sons of who? It's important for us as we seek first God's kingdom to prioritize and look for righteousness, to prioritize and look for peace. It means putting Jesus on the throne of a situation. And then we get to this this last element of the kingdom of God. And remember, we want to seek the kingdom of God first so that anxiety can be nothing but a distant memory in our life, no longer having a hold on us. 
that first one that we seek righteousness, the second peace, now this third element of the kingdom of God that we must seek first to have a life free from anxiety, joy in the Holy Spirit. Joy in the Holy Spirit. Joy is an important part of the gospel. In fact, I believe that joy is is in the foundations of the gospel. Jesus speaks about joy a lot, and it's incredible what he has to say about it. I want you to to take down a a passage of scripture, and I want to encourage you to read the passage, but I'd like for for you to read the chapter in your own time. Uh, You've you've probably read it before because I've called for us to read it before, but read it again. It's an incredible passage of scripture, John chapter 17. John chapter 17 is is known by scholars as the high priestly prayer. Now, Jesus is the high priest. But what's going on in John chapter 17 is Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is praying for me. Jesus is praying for us. And he has some really awesome requests that he makes of God, and God responds to his requests. Now, as Jesus is in prayer and he's praying for you, he's praying to the Father and he, he asks for something, he, he makes something very clear. He says, but now I come to you. And, of course, he's talking to the Father. So he would say, now, Abba, I come to you. In these things that I speak in the world, he's talking about the messages that he's preached, the encouragement that he's brought, that he's revealed the word of God to all of the disciples. He, I says, I've spoken these words to them so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. They may have my joy made full in themselves. It kind of is interesting that the kingdom consists of righteousness, right? Well, Jesus is the king of righteousness. That it would consist of peace, and Jesus is the prince of peace. And then that it would consist of joy. And as Jesus would be talking about joy, he wouldn't just be saying, hey, you know what, keep them happy, because this place is really kind of rough, and things get hard down here. And just throw them a bone every now and then because it's just a dark place, you know. Help them out a little bit. But he says, I want you to give them my joy so that their joy can be fulfilled. And isn't it amazing that when the kingdom of God is described, it's not just righteousness, peace, and joy. But it's righteousness and peace and joy in or of the Holy Spirit, the very spirit of Jesus Christ in me and in you. So now here we are faced with conflict or or tribulation or trial, things that would cause anxiety or worry. And to seek first God's kingdom, to be free from anxiety, we need to seek first righteousness, an identity of doing what's right. Not just to decide, well, I'll give in this time. You can have this one, but watch out because next time I'm going to get you. But it's, listen, this is what's right. This is who we are as Christians and how we behave, and there's no other option. Peace, meaning putting Jesus in charge, put Jesus on the throne over the problem, over the trial, over the cause of worry. Let Jesus give his counsel and then do that. And then joy in the Holy Spirit. Joy in the Holy Spirit. I think joy can be a hard thing for us to wrap our minds around because it's so easily confused with happiness. 
that, you know, if I'm picturing that to get through a, a, a trial or a tribulation or to get past anxiety, I need to find joy in the Holy Spirit, that it means I need to be giggly and happy and in, you know, this, this incredibly uh, uh, giddy mood of some sort. But I'm not so sure that that's the case. I think that joy in the Holy Spirit is about your identity as a person not being shaken or formed by outside situations or circumstances. I've had some really hard days in my life or, or difficult times, not saying that they compete with anyone else's. That's not the point. The point is, is that there's been times where there were attempts to bring a lot of worry and a lot of fear and a lot of doubt into my life. Pressures relationally, pressures uh, uh, professionally, pressures financially. And every accusation or slander or gossip or, or anything like that that, that would, would be against me or every letter that would say, hey, you know, you're in trouble and we're coming to get you. Anything like that that would come my way was simply trying to assault my identity that I'm beloved and chosen by God. And if I let that voice win, then I will lose my joy. And don't you know that Jesus, when he's referring to joy and saying, let them have my joy in them, you have the perfect example of one who is filled with pleasure to do the will of God, willing to empty himself of every privilege, to come into no suffering, to be mocked, beaten, but never once in a single moment of the pain, the suffering, the accusation, did he lose his identity. It's the reason why even in the end when he would cry out, he could say, Father, why have you forsaken me? Meaning that he never let go of the reality that he's a son of God. We can't let the voice in this world take our joy. It's our identity that we're beloved, that we're cared for, that we're cherished. And as we seek the joy of the Lord in any trial or any tribulation, I told you before we were going to find why it's important to be in the presence of God. I'd like for you to write this down for your notes as we close. Psalm 16, verse 11. Why it's important for us to be in the presence of God and pursue the presence of God. That means it's important for us to take time and sit and simply acknowledge, God, this is time I'd like to spend with you. Please, uh, let your voice be made known to me and let your word come to life to me and, and let your presence surround me. Let me be aware that you're near. It's so important because according to Psalm 16, 11, God, you'll make known to me the path of life, and it's in your presence that I find the fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. Being in the presence of God is where that fullness of joy is found because being in the presence of God is where your identity is affirmed and confirmed over and over again. I want to close with reminding you of what the goal was when we set out. Our goal is to get anxiety out of our lives, fear and worry out of our lives. And seeking first the kingdom of God is how we do that. But it becomes nothing more than a bumper sticker to me if it's just left as a passage of scripture that I don't understand. Seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added to you. 
But the kingdom of God is made up of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So as we face adversity, as we face trial, as we face tribulation, as we face the things that bring worry and anxiety in our life, we need to pause and hunt down, seek out, and pursue righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit in those moments. And then it'll work out. I want to ask you to stand with me. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.